You're listening to And what is poppin', everybody? You are listening to episode 113 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the most professional culture <laughs> editor, Han Lin. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. How's it going? I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's not even press tour yet. Press tour starts next week, and I am pre-exhausted <laughs> from it. Well, it's your first in-person press tour in like since the pandemic, right? Yeah, so our last one was um, January 2020. So after, right after press tour, I remember being at press tour feeling weird because I already knew about coronavirus, Um, and just being like, I just going to use a a lot of this hand sanitizer, but I didn't wear masks yet, and um, but and it was kind of like the last hurrah when I got to see all of my journalism friends. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's a it's a whole new world. Uh, We are. I am. I am part of the Television Critics Association that helps sort of broker this whole thing together. And we liaise with the uh, networks. So let's just say it's been really crazy trying to get all of this together and is still ongoing and it starts next week. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm surprised because I feel like during the pandemic, a lot of media companies have opted to do their own things. Right. Like Netflix now has their. Ta-dum, that went away and is back again for some reason. Um, I feel like Disney does their own thing these days. Um, but it seems like there's still room for like traditional media coverage of new shows, right? Yeah. I, I th- One of the reasons why the press tour is something that's been always valuable is because we do have a professional organization that kind of is able to put it all together. We negotiate rates with hotels in order for the networks to bring their talent in. We, you know, get the ballroom uh, so we can put the press conference there. It's kind of like a whole ridiculous operation. <laughs> and um, I, I, all I know is I... After I'm a board member, I will just become a regular member <laughs> because there's no way I want to be an officer. That's too much work. I am <laughs> I'm I have too much responsibility. But yes, um, I mean Disney always like pre-pandemic they had D23 right, and um, that was their one day one or several day um, sort of conference. And Netflix's To Dumb is kind of like copying that. So they started doing that during the pandemic, but I think that would have been in the works pre-pandemic um and uh there are other places that do that too i think ew you know had kind of like their thing vulture Mm. fest you know uh have theirs so it's kind of a branding thing but those are those are kind of like fan slash journalism based things kind of like comic-con is like a lot of journalists go to cover comic-con but it is a fan-based thing right right because there is a difference between like someone who writes for say a trade and someone who writes for like their own blog, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we, like, traditional journalists cover Comic-Con also. It's just who's running the show and who's getting invited is the different story. Like, Mm. for example, uh, Press Tour is not in any way broadcast. And that's a different, that's the main difference. You'll see a lot of people, like, when we're live tweeting, people are like, oh, my God, uh, so-and-so, like, Jensen Ackles is there? Show me a picture. And we're like, no photos in the ballroom. This is a press <laughs> conference. Whereas at Comic-Con, they live stream, they have pictures everywhere, they have selfies with fans. So that's meant to be a um, very public, visible thing. So you're saying we shouldn't expect any new trailer drops next week? 
Well, next week is actually Comic Con, <laughs> so oh. yes, you actually will. What? And that, <laughs> I guess next no, week. No, wait, we- wait, wait. <clears throat> I'm lying. So this week is Comic Con, I believe. So uh, oh. starting Thursday through the weekend, so you actually start seeing trailers. So actually, that um, but at press tour they do sometimes actually um, do trailer uh, drops or whatever first image drops. So those will be written up, but you won't see anything straight from the ballroom. Um, mm. So yeah, you won't see people talking live, live streaming, any of that type of stuff. What you might see is later on down the line, if um, television outlets, which we don't have a lot of, um, or whatever video outlets try to um, broker interviews with these networks, then maybe you'll get to see some video later on of their interviews. But they are not, um, they're not fan things. So yeah, uh, so it's I totally see. different. Huh. Um, this week on Good Pop, we're talking about the new film on Amazon Prime Video, Don't Make Me Go, starring John Cho and Mia Isaac. Uh, it is, man, I do have some thoughts, so I'm going to save them. <laughs> I'm off the burn pod right now because we've got to get to what's popping. But, man, I have some thoughts, but I am also glad that we t- we're talking about this film and not the film we were originally going to talk about, which I'm sure we'll get to in like 10 seconds. Um, yes. But before we get to Don't Make Me Go... Um, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week. Um, Han, what is popping? Yeah, so this was the rejected movie <laughs> that we were going to talk about. And then once I watched it, I was like, look, I'll talk about it for my what's popping because I don't know if I want to dig in for a full episode we about were just, this. Yeah. yeah, we were like thinking, is it going to be fun if we're just going to spend like 30 minutes just dunking on this film? Yes, and that film is the new uh, Jane Austen adaptation of, well, she didn't adapt it, but the adaptation of Jane Austen's Persuasion on Netflix starring Dakota Johnson. Uh, and let's see, uh, some guy named Cosmo Jarvis and then Henry, Henry Golding. Um, Richard E. Grant is also in it, who and he's quite delightful. But um, all the, the stuff that you might have heard of when the trailer first dropped, all the complaints about it, I thought at first it was a bunch of Jane Austen purists who were being like really stinky about it. But honestly, they were right. And it's just not great. I am very open to um, non-traditional adaptations because I think Jane Austen, uh, you know, there's so many classic versions of adaptations of her works that those are not tarnished in any way so definitely there's a kieran hines version that's 1995 that's very good sally hawkins version i think 2007 that you can watch uh if you want the traditional thing i reread the book so i could get reminded about it and let's let's rewind and first (laughs) what is persuasion yes so uh persuasion I will tell you the plot in a minute, but I do have to acknowledge that I think it might be one of her more difficult ones to adapt. And it's because um, it is a second chance at romance. So she wrote this um, later on in life. So it's one of her more mature works. Her, um, her It's her protag- last one, right? Uh, before Sanditon, which was uh, not finished. Oh. And, that, and Sanditon I have talked about on this show. <laughs> and that has become its own thing. Anyway, so Persuasion also features a protagonist who is older. And th- and by older, I mean, you know, not 18 or 20. Um, because like 27, when, right? Or 25. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're getting older, like, you know, 22, 23, you're considered on the shelf. That is like not married. You are now a spinster. So this character, Anne Elliot, 
is in a family where her father is completely uh, vain. He loves having mirrors all over the place. Um, and he judges people on their looks. Um, his eldest daughter, who is even older than Anne, um, is also unmarried, but he thinks she's beautiful. Um, he, they think Anne is kind of plain, which, of course, you know, Dakota Johnson is not plain, but whatever. <laughs> um, and the youngest daughter is married. So the oldest daughter not married, Anne Elliot not married, and then the youngest daughter, Mary, is married. Um, and so that kind of means that if he likes the oldest daughter, youngest daughter is married, Anne Elliot is kind of being like, what's the point of you? So she is the black sheep of the family, and she's also the nicest, of course. Um, back when she was 19, she had a romance with a young sailor named Frederick Wentworth, and they had a very passionate love affair, meaning, you know, they held hands and stuff. Um, and he asked her to marry. Um, at the time, he was sort of penniless. He hadn't made his way in the world yet. Um, and... Because of her very best friend, which is um, her mother's dead. So this is her mom's best friend, Lady Russell. For some reason, she took against him. And not just because he was penniless, but some th- something about his manner that she took offense at. And she just thought he was not a good prospect. So she um, basically told Anne not to marry him. So And the family didn't really care for him because he had no rank. Um, if you, you are someone who works... You are not nobility, um, and he had no money, so he was just useless to them. And so they all told her not to marry, so she did not marry. Of course, that was the love of her life. And this takes place eight and a half years later. She's now 27. Um, and, uh, of course, somehow she get he comes back into her life. Basically, um, her family is poor, even though they have a title. And so they uh, rent out their house to the brother-in-law of... Frederick Wentworth. And so Frederick Wentworth is around. Um, they they run into each other. He's kind of eyeing these other younger women who are of eligible age. They have not spoken in the, the eight and a half years that they've been parted. And then also into the mix comes uh, Henry Golding's character, um, Mr. Elliot. So if you can see that the names are the same, it is because he's a distant cousin who is actually, because he's a man, going to inherit the title that her dad has. So uh, there there are other in influences there. If you've watched Downton Abbey, then you understand why sometimes that distant cousin who's going to inherit, it's kind of a good thing if they marry into the family to one of the daughters, because then you can keep the title and, and the money and all that stuff in the family. So obviously, at some point, they get back together. So yeah, so it's basically, it, it is a second chances romance, you know, the love of your life, the time didn't match up or something happened. And now they're back to like, in the story, he's kind of like coming back with like a vengeance, right? Yeah, he's now a captain. He's rich. He, you know, he's captain. He has rank and he's considered a very <laughs> he's considered a very good catch. Um, yeah. And so there are regrets. She has a few. So um, I have not watched the whole thing. I've watched like the first like couple minutes of it and <laughs> it was tough. Um, but I know that this um, ever since the first trailer came out, there's been an uproar in the Twitterverse, especially from people who really liked the original book. I wanted to see a more faithful adaptation. You know, knowing you and Jess, I had an idea. And I remember when this was first announced, when Henry Golding was announced as Mr. Elliot, you guys are telling me about how this is a different type of Austin 
Like yeah. Anne Elliot, the character is not your typical or what has become the typical Austin heroine, right? He's she's not a Lizzie Bennet. She's not a Emma Woodhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not someone who is witty or um, yeah. She, she doesn't have a big personality. She has a lot of strength and character, but that's usually quieter. And she's not like she's not very showy. So um, that is the, that's that's kind of where it is where. The when you have this adaptation, which all of a sudden takes what people call the flea bag, you know, breaking the fourth wall, and I didn't even have an issue with that with Dakota Johnson talking to the screen in order to um, update the narrative because the narrative is kind of remote when you read the book, so they make it first person here by doing breaking the fourth wall, which I was okay with. My issue is they actually changed Anne Elliot. She, yeah. yeah, she's a wino. <laughs> she is always has a glass of wine in her hand. Um, she also calls out to the screen, like to the viewer, how how much her her family is not great. And that is not what you see in the books. In the books, she's very sweet, even though she might be well aware of the uh, of her family's foibles here. She is outright telling the viewer that my sister is selfish. My father is vain. You know, all these things. And that also doesn't play right when it comes to um, basically a character who's supposed to be really generous in spirit and heart and and actions and deeds. So, yeah, I mean, again, I I will admit that I have never actually read in Austin ever, (laughs) but I have read and watched many adaptations of like Pride and Prejudice and Emma and that sense of being self-aware enough to know that your family is full of like shitheads. Um, yeah. is a very Lizzie Bennett characteristic that has kind of become like the archetype for an Austin heroine that it feels like they kind of slapped onto Anne Elliot's character um, because whoever wrote this or whoever directed it has only ever seen Pride and Prejudice probably. I don't know. I'm not... It, it's it's kind of tough because honestly, when I, when I watch the adaptation, they, I feel like they clearly read the book. You know, there were enough details there, but it. I think their alterations were to make her say that she was aware. Um, whereas in the books, they're often there. The the character is usually just putting up with it and staying loyal to the family, mm. and so they're never talking behind their backs about their their family. They just put up with it, and so that and especially when it comes to Anne Elliot. That I feel like is kind of integral to her character. So they've just kind of just made her into like an Emma or a or a yeah. just yeah yeah. It was it's she's different, and that's also why um, when there are certain things that are said about her, like uh, her sisters would be like, "Oh, poor you, you're so plain. Too bad you're not prettier." <laughs> and it's kind of like it makes no sense because of course they cast someone Dakota who's, Johnson, and they right. didn't they didn't make her like frumpy right 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 and they also never acknowledge i mean there's just so many things weird about it. and then even when her, her love interest says stuff like you are the best you are so you're so generous and blah 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 and it's like you don't really see that in this movie because she's being all weird and like jokey yeah she's the so. cool aunt i mean she's just right. a single cool aunt everyone has a single cool aunt these days who right probably if she was detached from the story altogether probably wouldn't even want to get married because it just sounds like a hassle. yeah yeah so there are a couple times they show her to be self-sacrificing and it's almost like it's a different character <laughs> so uh again inconsistency here's the other thing no hotness 
we have talked about how Jane Austen is essentially has an uh, underlying heat because everyone is full of passion that they cannot express. Um, and we have seen that played out in different ways in the traditional uh, Jane Austen adaptations. Even in uh, Fire Island, that kind of worked out. Here, not only is there no chemistry between any of the people, <laughs> um, but they also, I think, one of the most romantic scenes in the novel, they very much did a different take on it, and I did not love it. So mm. they're like... As you reach nearer to the end, you're, you're like, oh, they're going to somehow get together. How is it going to happen? And even if you, you know, anticipate what's going to happen because you've read the book, usually it's still good because it depends on how it's acted. And oh, my God, I did not love it. So I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who wants to try it out. <laughs> but uh, if you do want a more faithful adaptation, I would say try the 1995 or 2007 ones. <laughs> that is sad because I know we talked about this in Mr. Malcolm's list, but you know, those characters had chemistry, but no heat. But this sounds like yeah. there was no chemistry or heat. Right, right, right. I, I mean, like, physically, you can almost see it with them. But, like, just together, it was just like, you're just talking to each other. I don't care about you. <laughs> I do have to ask, though, in terms of hotness, how did our boy Henry do? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wish he were... I kind of wish he, the, the roles were flipped. Because I think the... The interpretation of his role also got changed. And he was supposed to be the super smooth kind of guy. And here they kind of made him jokey also. Really? Um, Because his character is like he's an F-boy, right? Yes, yes. but And he's an F-boy, but kind of like hidden F-boy in the book, right? Like you're not supposed to know that like... In, in Well, you suspect he is, but, you know, the way it plays out is he's very charming and personable. And uh, only only Anne's incredible integrity and, and judgment of character in the book does she realize that he's not great until she gets con- confirmed. Here, she's actually charmed by him. And I was just like, <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, uh, they do mention how attractive he is in the movie, which is funny. Um, and that's that helps, you know, with the idea that she's torn between two guys. But, um, yeah, it, it's I felt like I don't know. Like, Henry Golding is someone who I can give or take for a movie. He's definitely good looking, but, like, I liked him in A Simple Favor. Um, he was all right in uh, Crazy Rich Asians. He did his role fine. But in the, some of his other movies, I haven't always loved him. So um, I don't know if this role was for him. Mm. It felt off. And I don't necessarily think it's because he can't do it. I just think there's a lot of miscasting and mis, you know. Uh, in this movie, I think my favorites were actually the horrible Austin characters. So the the vain dad was Richie E. Grant. I very much enjoyed him. Um, the very selfish sister was very enjoyable to me <laughs> um, as far as like committing to a character. And I think the inconsistencies in the uh, in Dakota Johnson and Henry Golding's characters were kind of just bothered me. They didn't give me the correct reading of the characters. So mm. yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's me. What's popping with you? All right. So for me, I didn't really watch much this weekend uh, besides the film that we're talking about later. Uh, But I did hang out in Gotcha Hell or Gotcha Heaven, uh, depending on how you look at it. Um, So some background information. Um, Right before the pandemic started, uh, my fiance got me a iPad 
Um, mainly because I'm an Android user and she's an iPhone user. And because of that, we haven't been able to um, FaceTime each other. And so she got me the iPad so that I finally have something Apple that she can call. And it's been good because we've been using it throughout the pandemic to keep in touch with each other. But since I got this new iPad, uh, my last iPad was the iPad 2 from like 10 years ago. Um, I finally have access to a lot of the games that I haven't been able Ooh. to play. And, you know, if you know about mobile games, a lot of them are designed to extract as much money out of you as possible. And then more so than gotcha games, which are, you know, games where you collect characters by rolling for them, um, much like a digital gotcha pawn. And so um, I played several games throughout the last year and only... And only stuck with a few, and one of them is a game called Arcanites, which is a tower defense game um, where you place your characters on a grid and try to defend against um, hordes of enemies that run along a dedicated path. Each character has unique skills and attack patterns that you can account for. And the reason why I stuck with this game is because it's one of the few mobile games that I've played where you actually have to think tactically in every encounter, depending on the Mm. team that you field. Um, There are multiple ways to clear levels and it actually becomes kind of like a tactical puzzle where you're constantly thinking about the best way to perfectly clear a level, which I really like. A lot of the other games I played um, end up being more of a mindless just button mash um, which makes them feel like just glorified clickers where you just push buttons and watch the numbers go higher and this game it actually feels like i'm using my brain and um, what i really like about it also is that even the hardest missions are perfectly clearable if you have a good plan which means it's not pay to win you don't have to be a big whale to collect all the best characters and there's also free ways to get um, high rarity characters through its store system that's not to say I didn't wail a little bit sometimes. Um, sometimes during their big events, they, they do have some very attractive um, packages. And, you know, sometimes I do look at it and think, hmm, I did get about $20 worth of value from playing this game. So maybe I will buy this pack of resources so that I can um, roll for more characters. And that brings mm-hmm. us to this past week when... Arcanites released its new game mode, which is a roguelike mode. Uh, Roguelikes are a very popular type of game um, based on the classic dungeon crawler Rogue, um, which is a run-based game where once you die, you have to start from the very beginning. And so this Arcanites roguelike mode puts you in a kind of a node-based dungeon where you go along. Um, All the nodes are randomized encounters that include um, story events or battles, and you have to clear it um, starting with limited resources which means you're likely entering with your lower tier characters uh, from the start as you build up your strength along the dungeon as you head towards a really hard final boss fight. And what's interesting about the game is that because of its structure, it forces you to play the game as if you're entering a new game state without your strongest um, high rarity characters that you've been building up for the last year or so. And so you have to really think on your feet and clear these levels with characters that aren't as strong as you're used to. And it's been a lot of fun. It's added a lot of depth to the game. Um, each run takes about an hour if you go deep into it. And I think I must have sunk like five or six hours uh, over the weekend into this new game mode alone. Wow. I mean, it does sound like you actually probably use more brain power than when I watch Persuasion. Um <laughs> strategy and all that stuff uh five hours man <laughs> yeah it was uh, it was uh sometimes when you play video games i'm sure i don't know if you have gone through this people who game would know you kind of enter like a fugue state where you just like focused on winning and mm. so like all of a sudden it's dinner time yeah <laughs> uh look 
there's a reason why I burned out on, uh, uh, oh my God, what's the animal? Animal Crossing? Yeah, Animal Crossing within a month and a half um, <laughs> because I was staying up way too late. I was stressing out about chores um, <laughs> and all that stuff. And finally, I was just like, I got, I, I need to stop. And uh, And it was disturbing my sleep. And that's just Animal Crossing. So anything more in depth, I don't think I could take because that would really take over <laughs> my brain. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounds fun, but I don't know if I can handle it. Uh, uh, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I played a lot of gotcha games over these uh-huh. past two years and I bounced off most of them. But this one stuck with me. Um, also, if you play games with the story, the underlying yeah. main campaign of Ark Knights, um, the writing is actually really good. It's the kind of story that I like. It's a dark uh, sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. um, about a world ravaged by natural disasters and a pandemic mm. um, and a lot of the political and Machiavellian machinations of the different stakeholders <laughs> and countries around this um, world where where because of the natural disasters, um, mm-hmm. cities are now um, built on top of mobile platforms. And so kind of like the mortal engines thing going on. Um, it's really wild. Um you know, it's a gotcha game, so of course there's a lot of anime people that you recruit for your teams. And um, out of the ones that I played, the character designs for this game is actually pretty tasteful. Uh, for the most part, um, there are some summer skins that um, you know show some skin, um, but for the most part, um, the character designs are lean more towards cool than sexy. Uh, sometimes they're cool and sexy, which is fine too. But yeah, um, this game has really been taking over my time for the last few days um, actually right before uh, coming to record this um this episode i finally cleared the main boss mm. for the first time on normal mode um with like one life left so um feeling pretty good about myself but uh yeah that's literally what's been popping for the last four days because i've just been playing this <laughs> mode constantly like after uh, work. <laughs> but yeah it definitely sounds like you got some roi on that yeah yeah even though in the long run, their psychological marketing tricks definitely worked on me because I did probably get $10 on this. <sighs> Anyways, that's what's popping. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about the latest John Cho film, Don't Make Me Go. Um, so stick around. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.
and welcome back to the good pop culture club on this episode we're talking about the new john Cho. um wikipedia says it's adventure comedy drama i don't <laughs> think it's an adventure comedy drama but okay <laughs> uh, the film is don't make me go it's streaming now on amazon prime video um it is a film written by vera herbert um directed by hannah marks and starring john Cho and mia isaac um, that premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in June. John Cho and Mia Isaac play father-daughter duo Max Park and Wally Park. Max is a single dad who, after discovering that he has a high-risk tumor, uh, decides to take Wally on a summer road trip across America to reconnect her with her birth mother. It is a... I mean, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think... There's okay. <laughs> we're, we're not talking. Spoilers. We're not. Yeah. Spoiling. We're not talking spoilers, which is why this next sentence may be a spoiler, which is it's kind of a teenage coming of age story, but it really isn't. Oh, and I won't say more than that. It it's 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 many things. Um, It is a father daughter bonding story. It is a road trip movie, which is probably why some people called it an adventure. But I think adventure movie yeah. denotes like Jungle it's Cruise also, or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also a, a, a cancer parent story. Yes. Uh, yes. So, I mean, look, if the premise is there's like a last road trip for him because he has terminal cancer, you know, and, and they're getting closer together, you know, this is going to be probably a tearjerker, right? <laughs> um, but it's also heart, heartwarming. Um so for yeah. me, I was just like, oh, what a totally different road trip movie this is from uh, Harold and Kumar. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, this is. I mean, <laughs> the dad editing of John show has been happening for a while now. This is um, it's not even his second time playing a dad. I feel like mm-hmm. now these days, John Cho is like the guy you go to to play. Dads. I mean, he's uh, I think a fellow writer of mine said that he is now in full DILF mode. So it kind of <laughs> he is he is that guy. So he is um, that guy. Yeah. He is also a father in real life. So I think that might be another reason why a lot of these actors who tend to um, start taking on uh, parent roles are parents in real life. That's um, true. You know, yeah. you, you want a more serious dad. You go John Cho. You want a more goofy dad. You go Randall Park. Um, has William Lee played a dad? Yeah, he's still playing action dudes, right? He's not kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, action dude or or some sort of like scientist dude or whatever it is. He's, he's I don't think Dante Kim's has done any dad roles yet. He's still kind of like he's like cool older brother or cool uncle. He, he's right? playing the cool hot guy and almost yeah. everything. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So he hasn't quite embraced that yet. Um, so yeah, yeah they're different different roles so if we're talking dads you know it's it's john cho and randall park if you want a dad of a teen and then mm-hmm. if you want um dads of adults you have Taima or james saito and it's pretty cool that we have like the stable of asian dads or at least east asian dads to pull from although it, it's still a little weird to see john cho um, playing dads even though he's the right age for it yeah i think that was why it was so uh fun in some ways even though Cowboy Bebop wasn't great, but just to see him play uh, a very actiony role, see that's an action you know, yeah. role and for you know a guy who's pretty much like pushing fifty almost. So here he is embracing close to his own age, um, uh, being a dad to a teenager. So um, he's good. and I think it worked really well. I mean, um, mm-hmm. John showing me Isaac have really good chemistry as you know a daughter who's being like a selfish teen and a dad who's just trying his best 
I yeah, I liked very much the um the way each of the characters were built out uh to get to know him because you know, yes, he is a very self-sacrificing dad, but also he has a booty call. You know, um he has a go-to <laughs> booty call and so he 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 gets his rocks off. Uh and she is a typical teenager seeing a guy wants to be dating him, but the guy is kind of just using her. Um she's very oh. ad- she, Glenn sucked even from the beginning. Yeah. I was like, "Girl, Glenn, you, got, you could yeah. do better." Glenn sucks. Uh, <laughs> she's very pretty. She's also very smart and funny. They have a great rapport. Um, he also is very dad-like in here, and I don't mean just like uh, being protective of her, but he's goofy, like dads are. And I thought that was a really great moment. You know, when he's well, there are yeah. a lot of great moments when he's. Goofy. <laughs> He's definitely using some of his more comedic muscles here, um, but in a very like charming way. Um, I mean, everyone's first exposure. I, I can't say everybody, but not everyone's old many. like us. But many people's first exposure to John Cho I, I, and the world's, I guess, in general exposure to him was the first American Pie movie when he was MILF guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. his background has always been in comedic acting, even though. He's a very, like, if you ever met him in person, he's a very serious dude. Yeah, he's very deliberate in his choices for work. He thinks about things thoroughly. It, it is probably why he is the dad guy um, <laughs> and and drawn to stories like this because he thinks about, like, what he's putting out there and what what sort of representation he wants to do, even though this is not a, you know, identity movie necessarily. Um, it's just one of those where it's just reflecting kind of the nature of America. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty refreshing, too. That This wasn't a, I mean, this was never going to be an Asian American story, right? Just mm-hmm. because the filmmakers aren't Asian American. I'm glad they didn't try to shoehorn anything in because it would have come off as a little disingenuous, right? Yeah, I I think the best way to do that is if you don't have Asian Americans behind the scenes, just to let the actors add their own touches if they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did have a writer interview uh, John Cho, and um, they were aware. You know, they asked Mia Isaac, who plays the daughter, like if there's anything that seems off to you, or if you want to add little touches um, from your own background, please do. And none of those things ended up in the movie because it did feel like it wasn't necessary. So, um, yeah, I think that's, I, I, that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize is sometimes in movies, if you leave something out, then the identity doesn't read correctly. But sometimes if you put shoehorn it in, it doesn't read correctly. So. Yeah. I think this was a good mix. Like I didn't need to, like, I liked how they acknowledge the fact that she is Blasian just by the fact that her dad is John Cho and his mom is, a black woman and that's kind of all they went into and the film starts in california where they live where that kind of identity issue isn't as much of an issue growing up because you're surrounded by a more diverse community anyways right right like even if we closed our eyes the only indication would have been like his their last name is park and that that's we always think of that as korean first at least you and Mm -hmm. i do but depending on some people they think of white first so uh yeah there there's definitely no flashbacks of the martian (laughs) that's exactly that's exactly what i was thinking of because as Uh, soon as that person was cast i was like what (laughs) i know everyone's like but his last name is park but i guess you know park is also an um an english word west i guess a west yeah because yeah because park is an english word too means yeah. different things. Anyway, so yes, the, it's it's not the the only representation really that you see is just them. 
which is great. Um, yeah. They they have a really I don't know I I I very much enjoy this movie and I don't I'm not normally the person who if you say hey there's a movie where one of the main characters has a terminal illness I'm not like I do not want to watch that film but I yeah. do have <laughs> it's a specific yeah. type of YA story right like terminal illness or cancer or sudden like it's a, a lot of romances do that too which i'm yeah. just like never do i want that in a romance walk but, to remember uh, was like probably the oldest example yeah. i can think of but i know a lot of like there's a lot of these types of stories and it's always it's always very i mean not to say that this, this film is also very manipulative uh but <laughs> i just you know i think the fact that john cho is involved and that there's like diverse representation soften the blow a little bit it, for me it, it worked for me because of the strength of the characterizations and their acting. Really, truly, um, it is a two-hander, and it works. They, they, I, I don't know how long they searched for her, her, but Mia Isaac is great. Yeah, and um, I, I feel like it made it very enjoyable for me because it is actually a funny movie too. Um, besides heartwarming, um, the road. Just think about it. You're a teenager and road tripping with your dad. Like, mm, that's weird. I know. <laughs> so I would do it now as an adult. As a kid, that would have been the worst thing in the world. And I love that she she plays that teenage petulance really, really well. And I don't know if this is like an age thing, but I definitely found myself sympathizing with John Cho with Max over the daughter. Oh, hell yeah. Well, besides <laughs> the fact that I'm closer to his age, but also um, the one of the ways she kind of bribes her to go on this trip with him is to is for her to learn how to drive. Oh, um, and, I would never. And watching her behind the wheel was giving me anxiety, <laughs> like <laughs> so much anxiety. Uh, as someone who, as a teenager, also hang, had anxiety learning to drive, watching her was even worse. Um, be, uh, because she also is just very she she's kind of brave and has a lot of attitude so there are times where I was just like I don't know why you're so brave because you can die in this car accident um, yeah I mean it's it, very I mean we've all been there right we mm-hmm. we're confident until we try and realize it's scarier than we thought and then if we make a mistake it's not our fault oh well I was the opposite <laughs> I was in a few car accidents before I started driving Oh, wow. um, and one major one where my my best friend was driving. So I always had anxiety getting behind the wheel. So it took me a while. Like uh, there's that rite of passage when you have to learn how to accelerate fast enough to get on a freeway. <laughs> and and they do that in this movie. And I was just like, no. Yeah. Um, so what was I thought, your starter? What was your Jerry? Jerry's the name of the station wagon. That, oh, uh, oh. Doncho owns. I mean, can you guess what make it was? <laughs> was it a Honda Civic? Yes, it was. <laughs> make and model, baby. Uh, yes, it was a Honda Civic. It was white. Um, oh. It it probably would have still lasted me if I didn't like total it. So mine was uh, also a white car. I had a my mom's Mercury Tracer was the car that I drove oh, for oh, my. Uh, what is a test. Mercury? What's a Mercury Tracer? <laughs> it's a very old station wagon. It was mm. you know not even station wagon. I think it was a hatchback. Okay. Um, had no power steering, no power windows. Oh my god! Everything was manual. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. Mine was all manual. Also, um, I re- I remember always pulling up to the things where you had to pull a ticket, and you're like cranking, cranking, cranking <laughs> as fast as you can. I yeah, I remember the first time I was behind the wheel of a car with power steering. I was like, it's so easy to turn this wheel. Yeah, I um, 
whenever I would travel back to Texas, I would rent a car and I would have all these like power steering and all, all those <laughs> things. And it was just like, woo. So when I finally got to get my own car that had like power locks, even that was a big deal. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, I recommend renting cars that you uh, normally can't drive or <laughs> afford. So they're, they're fun. That's true. Um, but yeah, um, so so that was a teenage thing that I really enjoyed um, because I could really identify with her difficulties with driving, but also his anxiety. <laughs> like yeah, next <laughs> for sure. And they do a really cool thing uh, where they do a, like a CGI overlay as they're mm-hmm. driving through to denote uh, where they are. So it will say like Arizona. Mm-hmm. And Colorado. And I really liked it when they arrived in Texas and you see, you know, the overlay say Texas. And then a few scenes later, you see it again, but this time it's still Texas. And I was like, that is hilarious because Texas is big, right? Yeah. I was actually waiting for that because I was like, if they don't devote more time to Texas, then that's wrong. Because um, <laughs> as someone who has done the road trip from Texas to L.A. and back, uh Texas is fully, and I'm on, um, I'm from Houston, so I'm on the uh, east, sort of east, southeast side of Mm -hmm. the state. So it is fully almost half the trip to even get out of Texas and then all the rest (laughs) of the states. So it's kind of like, yes, this should have taken more time for them to get out. (laughs) And I'm glad that they uh, noted that um, before getting to Mississippi and uh, Louisiana. Yeah. It did make me want to go to New Orleans. I mean, a good road trip movie makes you want to go on a road trip. And I'm like, man, it's been a while since I've been on a long road trip. Uh, ditto. I, uh, for me, I've just been trying to figure out, like, who can go on a road trip with me that I won't want to kill? Um, <laughs> because I've, uh, I've also kind of always wanted to do the sort of, like, RV trip. Um, mm. I put my cats in there. Uh, and then sort of RV. But, yeah, it's, it's uh, I kind of miss it. Haven't done I well. You look. Here's the things. Like even in normal times, I used to just go to San Diego for Comic Con, and that was a mini road trip. And I still miss that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think as a road trip movie, it, it did its job really well. Um, as a cancer dad movie, you know, you know the beats, and I think that's what makes all the interactions so like so heartwarming, but also heartbreaking because she's being like a pensioner teenager saying mean things to him because, you know, as kids, you, you know that after a while things will be okay. And he's like treating everything as if it's the last time he's going to do this. Right. It's just such a, it's a, it's, it's a dynamic that's very manipulative again, but also it just works because I mean, John Cho, John Cho is really good at face acting, right? He's really good with his expressions, especially like his pain expressions or his like, you know, his, he has like a, a smirk that he does. That's also really charming. <laughs> yeah, I I I think besides the I what we were talking about bringing out his comedic goofy side, I think this this movie gives the good range for him to play. Um, because yes, there's going to be the heartbreaking moments. There's the, there's sort of that conflicted stuff. Um, he like for example, you know, in his mind, he's thinking that this is the last he's going to see of her for a while, or at least he's not going to be with her in two years, right? So he wants to know what college she's going to go to. He wants to know, like, um, that she'll be okay when she finally picks her, you know, maybe one true love and stuff like that. So he's offering her all this advice and talking about about all these things. And she's like, why are you sweating about my college? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I agree that there's that sort of... Um, uh, dramatic tension where the viewers know what's going on, but the uh, one of the characters does not. Um, and 
he plays it really well because it he does it's never one of those where he it's kind of like he's overplaying it where it's like oh my god it's such a tragedy she doesn't know what's going on <laughs> you know uh it's it's underplayed and he you know i think there's a normalcy that happens when you are going day to day with someone and uh that's kind of what you get on this road trip because um it's a good road trip movie in that it shows a journey with the characters right and it doesn't overplay um the locations that they go through so you don't necessarily get a french quarter you know show me your boobs sort of situation in new orleans um yeah. texas texas is underplayed you know in certain ways i and i like that i think it was more about them and there's a good backdrop about the uh the places well, they, they go to she does go to a sick texas barn party though yeah, that was cool. And also looking at the stars in Texas, which I thought was a kind of well um, nice thing. So there are small touches, but it's not obvious. So there's not a lot of like, let me wear cowboy boots, you know, situations. Also, another sign that I'm probably too old now is um, during the party, the kids are doing keg stands. And, oh, my God. You know, I've done many a keg stand back in my day. Did you? But I was looking at that saying, man, that is unsanitary. <laughs> that spouts in someone else's mouth. You literally did catch stands? <laughs> oh, yeah. See, the only reason why I would never, because being upside down is fine with me, but I actually can't chug beer um, in general. Like, anything fizzy, I can't chug. Oh. So I would never have done a keg stand. Um, so uh, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> I may or may not have also done a two-story beer bong, but that's neither yeah, there. Yeah, definitely no, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> I don't know how people can, like, I know a lot of people who can, like, drink a lot of beer, and I'm just like, it filled me up. Um, because of the bubbles, so that's mm. why you drink it fast. I can't, because then I would just be burping all day. Uh, anyway, so so yes, very good job, uh, <laughs> Wally, for doing that keg stand. Yeah. Um, what did you think? So I, they had a moment of just genius stunt casting in the film, which mm. is the um, I guess one of the storylines is Max Parks ex-wife Wally's mom left him for his college best friend and I didn't catch this when they showed this picture in the beginning of the film but when they actually meet face to face at their college reunion which um, you know part of the story is Max is taking Wally with him to his 20 year college reunion which is that a thing and I would never go to one but anyways um, (laughs) his best friend who stole his wife is played by Jermaine Clement um, of Flight of the Concords. Yes. And I was I was cackling. I was like, that is the best casting. I, I love how this random Kiwi, you know, <laughs> is is clearly also an American and uh went to his college in New Orleans. So yes, he he and he plays a douchebag really well. Um it was very fun. And I yeah, I was happy to see it. Yeah. And then, and I guess the scene that everyone's been kind of talking about is the karaoke scene. Yes. Where John Cho gets up on, and I have to make it clear, this is not Asian karaoke. No. This is white people karaoke where you sing in front of everybody in the bar. Um, And he gets on stage to sing Iggy Pop. And um, man, John Cho can sing. That's his real voice, right? Yeah, you can tell it's his real voice. And they, they either must have known because they really leaned into it. Um, <laughs> he owned that stage. And, well, did you, yeah. John Cho used to be the front man of a rock band. And they said that also, they put that into his character. Yeah. Uh, I, have, so, I have one of his albums. The oh, Dinosaur what? Left of Zed. Yeah. I bought it back when I was in college. Uh, 
yeah. So yeah, they kind of like weave that into his character. <laughs> and um, so here's the thing. My so my the person I assigned to interview him did ask about his go to songs, mm-hmm. and they are "Hello" by Lionel Richie, oh, of course, "Beast of Burden" by the Rolling Stones, mm. and "Like a Prayer" by Madonna. Oh, <laughs> see, that's so. good. That's like one of one of each type of song. Where you have the mm-hmm. you have the slow song that you sing to you know to the ballad. Yeah. yeah, you have the ballad. You have the hype song, which is Madonna, mm-hmm. and then you have like a song everyone can sing along to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, the stone. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I I, I like this one um, that they chose because, well, we're not going to spoil that one. It's, it, it comes up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it was not the obvious choice, which I liked. Um, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. just a good showcase for him. I It was a very, despite tear-jerking me around. <laughs> um, yeah. It Again, was still, very manipulative. Yeah, it was still a very enjoyable film because I think it was, it didn't, pretend to be anything it was very clear in its identity of what it wanted to do and it very and it let um each of the actors really shine so right okay so we're not gonna delve into spoilers but i do have to say i was not as hot on the third act (laughs) um yeah which again it's i feel like so there's something that happens that they kind of seed throughout the film and to me, it's like, this isn't a murder mystery. I don't need, like, a gotcha moment. I don't know. I think depending on who you are, and I'm not necessarily one of those people, um, some people will be actually be like blown away by the ending and be like, oh, my God, that made it so much more powerful. Um, and uh, other people like us <laughs> who kind of see the structure of a film and sort of like and that. And anything that's hinted uh, too much or things like that. And so we do get bothered by like things that seem inconsistent or like takes away. From I mean, okay, like, I mean, okay, so the film starts with narration from um, Wally literally saying, You're not going to like the end of this film. Which at the end of the film, I was just, were you just hedging? Were you just telling us this so that when we get mad at the end of the film, you say, I told you so? It, it, maybe. Um, and again, I do believe some people will will appreciate the end of the film. So uh, it, it was fine. I, <laughs> I don't think it ruined the overall film for me because I think this is one where you would definitely say the journey <laughs> yeah. is the point. Uh, so, yeah. I, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's not that the ending was like implausible or it ruins the film. But I just didn't like the decision that they made. It's and, going to yeah. it's going to be it's going to be divisive, I believe. Yeah. Um, depending on if you want to watch this film, that's sort of sad. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and and I think yeah. that's actually okay. I think it can be divisive in a way that can cause conversation, and I'm not mad about it. So, um, yeah. Just yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you watch it and you can like let us know. Yeah, it's not as for me. It's not as much mad about it. More like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh-huh. look, I, we're both very well versed in media, and there is definitely certain things that we see coming a long way. And so sometimes, even like if a trailer is too detailed, I'll be angry because it spoiled something for me. Mm. And um. 
and even sometimes when casting is announced, it will spoil something for me because I know how things work um, in in media storytelling. <laughs> so I yeah. will say it did catch me by surprise, and I did okay. not expect to be surprised by this film because I thought I knew where it was going. Of course. <laughs> anyway, not Anyways. to not to belabor it because you might have figured it out by now, or maybe you haven't. I think it's worth watching if you, if you, even if you know it because again, it's all about the performances. Yeah, I, this is a movie that I'm thinking I could tell my mom to watch and she would enjoy it. Mm. Um, yeah, and and that's that's kind of hard because usually I can only tell her films that are for kids, um, <laughs> period dramas or action films. So very straightforward, sort of like you know what you're getting, and so these kind of middle of the road type of films where there's a little bit other stuff going on or sci-fi films with really weird premises. It's kind of hard for me to recommend, but I think she would like this one. I think she would find John Cho very attractive. <laughs> um, mm. But then also uh, I do have to say, you know, my nephew is Blasian. And so I think yeah. she, she sometimes, you know, at that's her grandson. And so maybe sometimes she doesn't realize also like, um, what it's like for him on the outside and stuff like that. So I think that would be good for her to see, watch. I, you did remind me, speaking of John Cho being good looking, that we do see a lot of shower scenes with John Cho. No John Cho butt, though. We do see butts and boobs, but not John Cho's. Uh, yeah, there's surprise nudity in the film. Just be aware. <laughs> um, but yeah, we only see him basically, you know, waist up showering. And he's still in very good shape because, again, it was probably around the same time he was doing... You know, well, he uh, had a Spike Spiegel hair for sure. That's definitely yeah, the long yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, I'm I'm not mad about that either. So uh. <laughs> right. he's a Delph. Right. <laughs> he is a Delph. Of that we can agree. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, final thoughts um, is don't make me go good pop. Yeah, I think uh, going into this, I thought I knew what I was getting and ended up enjoying it a lot more than I expected. Um, so, yeah, I and also I think Mia Isaac is a great new talent. So very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely thought it was good pop as well. I didn't realize this was like her first like major film, right? Yeah. As, like yeah. A, as a leading actress. Yeah, and she kills it. So. Yeah, her, like her IMDb is like two two roles which is pretty amazing i need to see her in a lot more things (laughs) yeah um always great to see more john cho it's always great i think like we've mentioned we watch a lot of asian american media um just because that's where our interests lay and you know sometimes sometimes we do need this type of film where it has nothing to do with identity more just Mm -hmm. about a father and daughter trying to find connection through a road trip and where their identity as Korean or black or Blasian have nothing to do with the story at all. But yeah. also doesn't detract from the story, right? Like we didn't feel like it was missing anything. And in fact, adding it might have muddled things a little bit more, right? Yeah, I agree. I think this was at core, you know, our father-daughter story. And and the road trip element, I frankly, I was kind of relieved just to watch something that wasn't a genre <laughs> film or yeah. TV show. We've been doing a lot of those, and I love those for sure, but it was just sort of relaxing to just be in the world. Yeah. And also the fact that, yeah, the father-daughter drama wasn't about, like, traditional... An old country, versus, yeah. yeah. traditional versus, like, American culture. It was more just, yeah. like, this. here's a single dad who's, like, given up a lot to raise his daughter and trying to kind of reconcile that with each other. 
Yeah, their issues are not identity based. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, All right. Good. Good movie. Good pop. Good pop. Good movie. Good flick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, that'll do it for our discussion of Don't Make Me Go. Um, you can catch it now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? I am on Twitter at Hanonymous. Yeah. Make sure to follow her next week um, for all your um, PCA <laughs> updates. Um, I will tweet what I can. And if you <laughs> if I'm not, I will either be working or actually doing some interviews out there. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin. Yeah, you can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American host the podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And we'll be back next week to um, talk about another Amazon original, this time the TV series, The Summer I Turned Pretty, on uh, which I have agreed to watch all seven episodes to catch up to Han and talk about the series. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like. A podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.